0: Alright, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. Thanks for tuning in. Exciting sports news as we inch closer and closer to the MLB and the NBA restarting or starting their respective 2020 seasons. A little less than two weeks away from baseball's opening day and just a little bit over two weeks away until the NBA's bubble restart, which is just fantastic. I just got done actually watching the basketball tournament on ESPN which is kind of like the March Madness bracket-style tournament. Instead, it's for maybe ex-college players or overseas professional players, retired NBA players. These guys can make teams, such as there's a a Big Ten team, so former alumni to the Big Ten basketball conference were on this team. There was the Marquette Golden Eagles alumni team was actually the champion this year. There was Joe Johnson, a former multi NBA all-star on one of these teams. Actually, one game he showed that he still is considered with his nickname, ISO Joe, scoring 35 points in one of those games. So watching the basketball tournament is what it's called on ESPN, was a sight for sore eyes when you haven't watched new competitive basketball in a couple of months now. So that was uh, really exciting to see. I mean, we had Cinderella teams, we had a team that there was 24 teams, I believe, in this year's tournament. Usually I think they're up around in the 30s, maybe even more. But of course with, with COVID-19, they, they brought that down and they actually tested out the bubble aspect with themselves and it, and it was pretty successful. If everybody was on the same page, everybody followed the rules and look at that, they were able to complete this tournament. Either way, they had, they had 24 teams and I believe the 23rd ranked team, so the second lowest ranked team made it all the way to the final game against the Marquette Golden Eagles squad that I said They have been waiting for their chance to win this tournament. They've been going quarterfinals, semifinals, and then they made it to the finals last year, and this year they were finally able to get it all done. The winning team gets a million dollars, so they split that up between, I think, there's maybe eight to ten players on each team. So that's just exciting. And then and a thing, too, about this tournament is one thing that they do is they have a fascinating Elam ending, which is instead of the regular run the clock out to the end, Once it gets down to the final four minutes of the game, the first whistle for stoppage of play, they cut the clock, there's no more clock, and now it's a target score ending, kind of what the NBA All-Star game did this past year, where we saw it ended with Anthony Davis free throws. Usually in this Elam ending in this tournament, we see it ends on a game-winning shot, and that's really what they like with this ending instead of a team just running down the clock when they're up by 10. Instead, if, if they're up by 10, the other team still has a chance to go on a run, and this, this team that's up by 10 still has to earn that target score. So the, the basketball tournament was really fun to watch. Nice little uh, layover, something to help until the NBA returns soon enough. So until we get there, though, we have some other topics to discuss that I've postponed for a while until now. We'll get to my NFL season record predictions today, or at least the beginning of those today. We'll discuss the NFL 100 all-time running backs list as well, which I've wanted to do for a while. But first and foremost, for today's episode, we need to start with the huge decisions coming out of the NCAA in college football, starting with the Ivy League, Big Ten, and the Pac-12. So we'll start with the Ivy League then, because they said, I believe it was early last week, that the Ivy League is canceling all fall sports, including football. This is possibly... There's a possibility that they'll move all these fall sports to the spring season, but as of right now, it's unlikely. But they are canceling all fall sports due to the coronavirus, so that's extreme. We've seen, coming from the Ivy League now, we've seen other big steps taken from other major conferences, such as the Big Ten and the Pac-12. They have said, as of right now, that fall sports are likely to be played just conference games, no out-of-conference games. So, And that includes football as well, of course, with the Big Ten. In the Pac-12. So we lose a lot of big games this year that are out of conference, big matchups that we don't see every year. So notable ones canceled in the Big Ten, for example, Ohio State versus Oregon. Actually, there's a, a Big Ten Pac-12 matchup that is canceled because both teams are deciding to stay in conference and play. And the reason why they're deciding to stay in their conference and not play outside is to limit or is to control universal testing in their conference and then limit traveling as well so then the traveling from say wisconsin to minnesota doesn't necessarily have to take a plane or wisconsin to northwestern ohio state to michigan all that stuff they can take buses and then the big 10 can control the testing that is being done in its conference in their own and then they can have that sort of comfortability or reassurance that we're doing the right thing we're making sure our testing's done they don't have to worry about the Pac-12's testing if it's not as good, or they don't have to worry about the SEC if they have a matchup with the SEC and it's not as good. This way they know when Northwestern faces Indiana or Ohio State f- faces Michigan that both teams have been tested the same, and both ma- it'll be a safe matchup in that sense if they have all their ducks in a row when it comes to testing at this point. So that's why these two conferences are deciding to go with just conference play for all sports in the fall up to this point they could still decide to cancel all fall sports like the ivy league right now but most of these conferences big 10 pac-12 sec acc big 12 the the five major conferences what they're waiting on right now is they're trying to wait till the end of july to make any big decision. so big 10 and pac-12 made this decision already acc has decided to postpone fall sports, the fall sports schedule, until September 1st. It, it affects some of their fall sports, but it doesn't affect football up until this point. But they have postponed everything until September 1st already. But they're kind of waiting to see till July 31st, the end of July, early August, when the NBA bubble restarts, the MLB is restarting. They're going to learn some things from that. Until then, they can make big decisions based on their seasons. So like I was saying before, the Big Ten and Pac-12 have decided to go to just conference games, no out-of-conference games. Here's some notable games that will be missing. Like I mentioned, Ohio State versus Oregon. We're going to miss out on Michigan versus Washington. Wisconsin versus Notre Dame. That game was going to be played at Lambeau Field. That's no longer going to happen this year. And another thing to... That's not funny about this, but Notre Dame isn't in a conference. So all of Notre Dame's games are scheduled out-of-conference games because they're an independent school when it comes to football. They don't associate with a conference. So if all these other conferences, the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, if they decide to also go to just conference play games this season, what does that mean for for Notre Dame? So that's another thing that they're going to have to decide as well. I mean, USC and Notre Dame, so that's two big matchups. That Notre Dame has already lost when they were supposed to go to Lambeau Field and face Wisconsin, and they were also supposed to face USC. So those are two games that have been canceled because of the decision by the Big Ten and Pac-12. We'll also miss out on the yearly Iowa versus Iowa State. Michigan State versus Miami was another one we were supposed to have, and then Penn State versus Virginia Tech. But this isn't even the biggest thing, I think, when it comes to the Big Ten and the Pac-12 canceling canceling their out of conference games and just sticking to a conference schedule. This in turn affects just 36 scheduled opponents just in the NCAA football schedule against the Big 10. So small school programs that get paid to come and play Ohio State, that get paid to come and play Wisconsin or USC at the beginning of the year, you know these schools like to schedule these really small conference these non or these non-power 5 conference teams really small programs. They like to pay these small conference teams to come and play. Ohio State will whoop them up 70-0 to or something like that, 70-7. to You'll see those at the beginning of the season all the time, kind of like warm-up games for these bigger programs. These games have been canceled as well, but these smaller programs are just going to be absolutely devastated by this decision if the Big Ten and the Pac-12 hold on with this decision, especially if the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 – decide to go along with the same decision as well. These smaller schools rely on this money to help continue their programs. Without this, if when Ohio State pays a million dollars for say a team like Bowling Green is an example that they're supposed to play this year. So this this Bowling Green State University was scheduled to play at Ohio State and Illinois. Like I said, they invite them to come to their campus just a nice home warm-up game to get the teams rolling. They go 70-7 to or something like that. They were scheduled to play Ohio State and Illinois. They're going to lose out on $2.2 million. And that doesn't just help their football program. That helps all their other school sports programs. And that's just going to be crippling to all those programs. And we're not sure how they'll be able to get their money back. So these big games, these Ohio State versus Oregon, this Wisconsin versus Notre Dame, which is going to be a game that's going to happen again next year. I believe it's at Soldier Field next year. The, those can be rescheduled. They'll find a way to play those games, but these small school games are the ones that, one, the the major programs like to start their season, maybe one or two, and we've seen um, in more recent years with the college football playoffs that teams are scheduling less and less of these because they're getting penalized for not having a stronger schedule, but still, they might schedule one and pay the other team a million dollars, $750,000 to come and take a beating 50 to zero or something like that, but if these programs can't survive after this coronavirus and not getting this money like bowling green state university getting this almost 2 and a quarter million dollars to play ohio state and illinois that's just devastating and we're going to lose sports programs all across this united states with with some of these smaller schools so hopefully they'll figure something out for these smaller school programs and hopefully they'll be able to survive this but that's something that is, is kind of being overlooked, I think, when people talk about the Big Ten and the Pac-12 so far just switching to conference games. The thing that they're focused on is these big games that are being canceled. The Wisconsin-Notre Dame, the Michigan versus Washington, the Ohio State versus Oregon, the USC versus Notre Dame, or the USC actually versus Alabama. That's a game we're not going to get this year as well. They're focused on those. Those shouldn't be the main, the main focus or the main problem that we have with the Big Ten and Pac-12 going to this, it's these smaller schools that are really going to be devastated because we'll get USC versus Alabama again. They can they can somehow schedule that in next year and push the rest of their non-conference schedules back a year if they need to. We'll get Wisconsin versus Notre Dame at Lambeau Field again. They'll find a way to fit in these major school programs, these major school matchups. It's these smaller ones that are kind of being not discussed at, at the top level, which I think they should be a little bit more because those are really devastating in a sense. So like I said at the top, Ivy League is canceling all fall sports. So the, the question is, what else will we see changing for upcoming college sports that are currently practicing right now? So actually, college football has their spring practice going on. We've had Clemson have maybe, I think it was over 30 players test positive for the coronavirus during their spring training and spring practice. We've had teams like Ohio State cancel a couple of days of practice. I believe they've returned back to practice now after having players test positive for the coronavirus. And we've had other teams doing their testing and stuff like that and have zero players test positive, which is great. But the question is, we're right now in a trend where we're seeing the coronavirus spike again. The question is, will we see other schools, major programs and major uh, conferences, will we see major cancellations following suit of the Ivy League? Now, the Ivy League is a little different than these Power 5 schools that we're talking about with the ACC, Big 10, SEC, Big 12, and Pac-12. But that'll be really interesting to see if if they follow suit. Right now, I think, like I said, they're waiting till July 31st to see how this NBA bubble restart goes, to see how the MLB restarts their season as well. They're going to try and learn from that before making a major decision like canceling all of their fall sports. Another thing, too, that's kind of gained momentum recently is possibly moving fall sports into the spring semester or in the spring when possibly there's a vaccine, hopefully by the year 2021, or we have it under control or something like that. That's, of course, a long ways off. But the possibility of spring sports has been brought up. But then the question is, how many of these players will decide to take that risk of playing in the spring sports when they could instead enter the NFL draft because the NFL is not going to stop and reschedule their entire season based off of college football for one year. So that's that's one of the things where it's, it seems, and this, and this is, course of course, just me talking about college football. The other fall sports might be able to do spring semester and it work out just fine. Soccer and stuff like this could, could work well in the spring. I don't know when would all the other fall sports that fall in line with the football schedule. Maybe it's tennis as well. Maybe those could all work. In the spring semester, but football, the NFL draft is in the spring, the NFL offseason is is in the spring. Would we lose major players to that? And would it even work? And that's why I think the spring suggestion that's been brought up doesn't seem to have a lot of momentum behind it and a lot of carry because there hasn't been a good idea on how you get that to work where players want to play in the college football season to up their draft stock. Maybe a guy who's thought of right now as a possible fourth rounder. Could work his way into a top ten pick. We saw that with Joe Burrow, of course. Of course, this year, nobody thought he was near nowhere near a first rounder before the season began, and then of course he goes out and has a national championship winning season and becomes the number one overall pick. So, I mean, that's 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 another thing that we've we've seen come forward with. Do we possibly go to a spring season with fall sports? Most notably, does college football in the spring make any sense? And to me, right now, off of what I've heard. It doesn't seem like there's a viable solution on how they could make spring football work. So right now, everything is still on schedule. I mean, the AC, the ACC, SEC, and the Big Twelve haven't canceled out of conference games, but some of their out of conference games have been canceled, like the Alabama USC game because of the Big Twelve or the Pac-12's decision. I think what we might see is these Power Five conferences, the other ones that haven't canceled out of conference games. I think we might see them follow suit. The, the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC, I think we'll see them follow suit just because it won't make sense for them to keep their out-of-conference games if some of them already get canceled. And that'll just make it easier then for them as well. But then the question becomes, what does this mean for the college football season? I mean, and possibly the college football postseason when it comes to bowl games and playoffs. As of right now, the college football executive director, Bill Hancock has said that they'll be ready for whatever comes down when it comes to if the other Power Five conferences follow suit. And then a big factor is going to be overall league depth. So the depth of the Big Ten versus the depth of the SEC versus the depth of the ACC, and that could really hurt Clemson because of the lack of depth in the ACC or in the Pac-12 and such like that. But right now I don't think they're worried about The college football playoffs or bowl games to this point right now they're just hoping to play games in the fall get some of and and hopefully if they can some out of conference games i know i believe the pac-12 is looking at possibly postponing the start of their their football season because they have a game usc versus ucla and they're not sure if that game will be ready to be played in the beginning of september because of the spike in the coronavirus cases out here in, in los angeles while the Big Ten, on the other hand, is hoping to move up its conference game schedules to hopefully, if there needs to be a cancellation in the middle of the season or at the end of the season, even, maybe if it's November, late November or something like that, where we're still in this coronavirus spike or it's even worse than we thought, if there needs to be a cancellation, they're hoping that if they can get their games in at the beginning and there needs to be a postponement or a cancellation, they'll be able to have a conference champion at that point so it's all up in the air right now when it comes to college football but it's just interesting we've had the Ivy League cancel all fall sports which is a really big uh really big thing because it just who knows what we'll see when those fall sports can come back if all those fall sports will come back i think we've already seen some schools decide that they're going to have to cancel a lot of their sports programs i think it's stanford that might be getting rid of Maybe it's like 5 to 10 sports programs that they're going to have to cancel after 2021 because of just some of the budget cuts that they have to do. So we'll see with the Ivy League as well, canceling their entire fall sports programs. And right now they're still waiting and talking about some of their winter sports that might start in November or the beginning of December. The Big Ten as well, the repercussions of the Big Ten and Pac-12 deciding just to play conference games with a lot of these smaller schools. We'll have to see. It'll it'll be really interesting on on how we move forward from this. And uh, hopefully we still get a college football season, possibly with fans near the end. And we'll we'll possibly get a college football playoffs and a bowl season as well, which everybody would, I'm sure, uh, like to see. All right. I'm going to transition now over to the NFL all-time 100 team with the running backs list. And I'll go ahead and start off with, I believe there is 12 players from the running backs that made it on the NFL All-Time 100 team. Okay, and those 12 are Jim Brown, Earl Campbell, Earl Dutch Clark, Eric Dickerson, Lenny Moore, Marion Motley, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Gale Sayers, OJ Simpson, Emmitt Smith, and Steve Van Buren. Now here are some notable ones that when I was watching this unfold on on TV that I thought was interesting that they weren't included in the top 12 on the NFL all-time 100 running backs team. Ladanian Tomlinson, he's on the finalist list but he's not on the top 12. Adrian Peterson, Marshall Falk, Marcus Allen is another one. I mean there's a couple of names in here so in the the reason I, I talk about they talked about it this when this these were coming out there's a lot of bias towards more recent players whereas there are a lot of them aren't making this NFL all-time 100 team like Ladanian Tomlinson, Adrian Peterson for example. I mean, when I was at when I was working at NFL Network and these these are all football guys and, and the guys that are on TV of course know a lot about their history with the NFL. There was a lot of questions on who they didn't even know who Earl Dutch Clark is and yet he's somehow on this NFL all-time 100 team. I mean, he played literally for five seasons in the NFL, so I don't know. I mean, now, of course, there, there was a lot of talk about a lot of these players being pioneers in the African-American community, making it into the NFL, and, of course, being successful in the NFL. But I believe it was Marion Motley who they discussed as being one of the first to do that. And I looked at him, and I looked at his, his stats and, and his time in the NFL – and I thought that's great to to add those guys in there, but you can't have like six pioneers be on the NFL All Time One Hundred Team just for that sake. You know, I mean, there's there's a guy that helped lead the way, and I believe it was Marion Motley who was the one that did it. And so the the two guys who I thought should definitely have been on there were Adrian Peterson and Ladanian Tomlinson. So let me let me let me get to some of the notes that I have here. There's only eighteen non QB MVPs. In the history of the NFL, 16 of those 18 have been running backs, and four of those 16 running backs have been left off the finalist list. They weren't even um, considered in this final cutdown of all-time running backs teams. Those are Sean Alexander, Larry Brown, Paul Horning, and Terrell Davis. Now there's five MVP running backs on the finalist list, not on the all-time team. Those were Marcus Allen, Marshall Falk, Adrian Peterson... Jim Taylor, Thurman Thomas, and Ladanian Tomlinson. Oh, so six. I'm sorry. There, There's the mix-up. So six of those players. Now, when I think of a couple of these guys that could be placed on here, Adrian Peterson, first of all, comes to mind. He's a top-five all-time rushing leader in in terms of yards. He's fourth all-time. He's top-five all-time in rushing touchdowns as well. He's fourth. And he's top-ten in rushing attempts, which means – Year after year, this guy is getting the ball. I don't know how a guy in the top five of the two most relevant and the two most talked about statistical categories for running backs is left off your all-time running backs team in the NFL 100. Adrian Peterson, he's also got an MVP. Like I said, he's one of the 16 non-quarterback running back MVPs of all time as well. And then another guy too, Ladanian Tomlinson, he's another one of those MVP running back. So, I mean, he's got the accolades as well. He's second all-time in rushing touchdowns. And he's top 10 all-time in rushing yards. He's seventh. And then he's top 10 in rushing attempts, too. Did it for the, Los, or the San Diego Chargers back then, as well as still did it with the Jets when he went there. I don't know how these two guys get left off of this all-time running backs team. A couple of guys that I thought could be removed, the Earl Dutch Clark, like I mentioned, Lenny Moore and Steve Van Buren now I know I'm I'm what 23 and I might not know a lot of these these older running backs or these early generation guys but I mean they've got the stats in these packets and they've and I've looked it up back online I don't know it just doesn't make sense on on how some of these guys when you can add some of these newer generation still playing actually Adrian Peterson these guys that that clearly deserve it so I, if I were to take those 3 off the three that I would add in their place, I would add in Ladanian Tomlinson, who I think is the biggest snub on this list, should definitely be on here. Adrian Peterson, who should be a first ballot Hall of Famer once he retires. And then I would choose one of between Marcus Allen and Marshall Falk, one of those two MVP running backs as well with all the accolades, top five rushing, top 10 touchdowns should be on this list instead of Earl Dutch Clark, Lenny Moore, it's Steve Van Buren, I think LT. And Adrian Peterson should have been uh, no doubters on this all-time 100 list. Now, I think that they possibly should have added Paul Horning and and Terrell Davis on this uh, finalist list, at least. I mean, Terrell Davis is a major reason why the Broncos went to -to back-to-back Super Bowls and won those Super Bowls in 1997 and 1998. I mean, he was the MVP of the season's years as well. So I think he deserves a spot on this all time NFL running backs team, not necessarily in the top 12, but on the finalists at least. And then Paul Horning, one of the the greats. And of course, possibly a little biased with, with Packers knowledge that I have and that I know more about him than these other guys like Steve Van Buren and Earl Dutch Clark and Lenny Moore. Sure. But still, I don't know. Uh, That's, that's my thoughts on this NFL 100 all time team is that, they really were biased against more recent NFL players, and we saw that across the board in some of these positions, so that was really interesting. And when you saw this list, when it first came out before they revealed who the top 12 were, everybody, you circled Ladanian Tomlinson, you circle, of course, the Barry Sanders, the Walter Paytons, the Jim Browns are are obvious ones, but you circle Ladanian Tomlinson and Adrian Peterson because you're looking at this and you're like, well, these are the top 12 guys, no question about it. So I just thought that was interesting and something that I... Uh, wanted to voice my opinion on. And, and I think I have And the people that have argued for it, they have the, the stats and the the argument to back up their reasoning for why they think he should be on there. So that's just interesting to me. All right. So I'll transition now to this, my 2020 NFL season records. And what we'll start with today is I'm going to do the AFC West and the NFC West and their records for the 2020 season. Teams that made the playoffs for these two divisions as well. And then next episode, I'll do probably the NFC and AFC North or something like that. But anyway, so we'll start with these two today. So for the AFC West, here's my record predictions for these teams. So for Kansas City Chiefs, I've got them going 14 and 2. Denver Broncos then going 9 and 7. The Los Angeles Chargers going 7 and 9. And the Las Vegas Raiders going 4 and 12. And then in the NFC West, I've got the San Francisco 49ers going 12 and 4, Seattle Seahawks going 11 and 5, and the Arizona Cardinals going 8 and 8, and then the Los Angeles Rams going 6 and 10. So I believe then when I was looking at my simulator that I did when picking the schedules for these guys, the Chiefs end up as the 1 seed in the AFC, the Broncos end up making the wild card in the AFC at 9 and 7, and then in the NFC West, the 49ers, I believe, end up as a 2 seed, and Seattle also makes it as a wild card team at 11 and 5. So, let me give you some of the reasonings behind behind some of these uh these projections. So, we'll start with the Los Angeles Chargers at 7 and 9. I think They have an elite defense, no question about it. Some of the moves they made, especially in um, the draft as well, they got Kenneth Murray. They signed Chris Harris from the Denver Broncos as well. So that defense is absolutely loaded. Still up front, they've got Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram. They've got help in the middle as well at the defensive tackle position. They signed, or I mean, yeah, so they signed Chris Harris. They've still got Casey Hayward. Derwin James in their secondary. That secondary is absolutely loaded. And now you plug in Kenneth Murray, a rangy middle linebacker as well. So that defense is loaded, but it's the offense that I think is going to be troublesome for them. I think they're going to have QB competition and controversy all year, and that's going to be hanging around their necks, whether it's Tyrod Taylor or it's going to be Justin Herbert. Their offensive line is still a bit iffy. They did sign Brian Balaga from the Green Bay Packers but of course he's been he's had injury concerns the past couple of years he hasn't played a full season i it's been a couple of seasons since he's played a full season at least they lost Melvin Gordon so now they're going to rely on Austin Eckler who we're not sure is an every down back we know he's definitely a pass catching back but we'll see if he can handle the every down load as well and we'll that's what i think is just why they're they're going to be a 7 and 9 team if i think what what'll happen is Tyrod Taylor will start the season out and then they'll transition over to Justin Herbert, and that's where uh, we'll see Justin Herbert take over the team, and they might struggle with him at the helm to begin with. But then it'll be his team next year, and next year we might see them uh, take a step forward after a 7-9 and nine season. Another surprising one that I had too, the Los Angeles Rams at 6-10. and 10, I mean, they were in the Super Bowl two years ago. They missed the postseason last year just barely. Now with their, their 7 postseason teams in the nfc and afc if that was last year the rams would have made the postseason as the seventh team but they just have i believe the toughest conference if not one of the toughest conferences in the nfl with that nfc west the 49ers just in the super bowl seattle year after year making the playoffs and now arizona with kyler murray in his second year deandre hopkins there as well cliff kingsbury and vance joseph running the offense and defense going to be year two for them they're just taking a step forward that is just an extremely tough conference that they're in they didn't and look at all these offseason departures that they had Corey Littleton their middle linebacker Dante Fowler an outside linebacker their longtime kicker Greg Zerline they're going to have to replace a kicker and find someone as consistent as him Nikel Roby Coleman a slot corner who might have been one of their best defenders they lost Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks on offense of course I'm not sure how they're going to replace Todd Gurley's production. Right now, I mean, they drafted Cam Akers, a second-round running back, but rookies are, of course, unpredictable, so you never know how that could turn out. Brandon Cooks goes to Houston in a trade, and then they lose longtime veteran Eric Weddle in their secondary at safety, and that's that's someone that could help bring that defense together. I mean, they still have Aaron Donald. I believe in Jared Goff that he is a franchise quarterback. But their offensive line, they really didn't upgrade it. They've got a 36-year-old left tackle in Andrew Whitworth. He's still one of the best left tackles, but he's getting up there in age. They just lost a lot of depth, and that's why I'm just not a big believer in this Rams team. I mean, they could they could sneak by. They could go on a run, of course, but I just don't think they're going to be able to, especially with how tough their conference is. So that's why I have the Rams at 6-10 and 10 this year. The Seattle Seahawks, I have them at eleven and five making the the wild card. I don't think they're quite even par with the 49ers. I think they could win a game against the 49ers, but I think the 49ers are still the better team. The Seattle Seahawks have a couple of concerns for me though, with they need to upgrade their defensive line badly. I mean, last year they got Jadeavy on Clowney and he they still were one of the worst teams in terms of sacks. And now they haven't re-signed Clowney yet. If they re-sign him, that could be a big help because he does more than just get sacks. Of course, he affects the game, the run game, pressure on the outside, and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think Clowney would still fit well in Seattle and help with their defensive line issues. Their secondary on defense could also be a question mark. But the thing that that Seattle just has going for them and really just puts them in the, in the postseason every year is Russell Wilson. He's kind of like a cure-all, I think. He's just that special, that good of a player, and that good of a leader as well that he can help this team and will them into the playoffs. And even they, they can win playoff games even if their roster isn't one of the better rosters. They, they have a good offensive line that helps with their running game. Russell Wilson, of course, has that Russell Wilson magic, can get it to those wide receivers in Tyler Lockett, D.K. Metcalf, and now he's got a bunch of tight ends as well. So that's why I still have Seattle in the wild card. They have some concerns on the defensive side, but that's why I don't have them overtaking the 49ers quite yet. And now the Chiefs, I have them at 14-2, and two, and here's the reason why I think I think I have them as their number one overall seed in all of the NFL. They returned 20 of 22 starters to their Super Bowl winning team. So there's continuity there. The team that won the Super Bowl last year is still right there on the field. They added Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, an upgrade at the running back position. This is a guy that'll play all three downs. He can help in the passing game. This was Joe Burrow's check down running back at LSU. So you know he's pretty good when he just went and won a national championship with the LSU Tigers. They got long-term extensions for a bunch of their key pieces. I'll I'll get to that at the end of this episode. And they keep Eric Bieniemy at their offensive coordinator. He should have been hired as a head coach somewhere this past offseason. He wasn't. That's a win for Kansas City and a loss for all these other teams that signed other coaches. So I think Kansas City is going to be the number one team in the NFL this upcoming year. And then we've got Denver, the Broncos. They're 9-7, I have them, making it into the wild card. I don't know if they're that last wild card spot, but either way. Year two for Drew Lock now in that system. He's got an upgrade on the offensive weapons. They add Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler, wide receivers in the draft. They get Melvin Gordon from the Chargers. And then to go along with year two of growth with Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton. That's a young offensive core group. And that'll be really nice for for Drew Locke to grow with. And I think this team is just going to keep getting better and better. Vic Fangio now also upgrades on his defensive end. They add a big defensive tackle, multi-year Pro Bowler and Jarrell Casey from the Tennessee Titans. And they also add A.J. Bouye, The defensive back from Jacksonville. Jacksonville just selling off pieces, probably tanking for Trevor Lawrence. But either way, they add those two guys. Bouye can kind of replace the loss of Chris Harris. Darrell Casey can take and push up the middle and help with Vaughn Miller on the outside and Bradley Chubb on the other side. Those two will have a big year now with Darrell Casey. They upgraded their offensive line for their young quarterback, Drew Locke. They got Graham Glass now from the Detroit Lions and they also got Lloyd Cushenberry from the draft protect the middle of that offensive line and like I said Vic Fangio's second year with that defense we saw what kind of defense he's able to put together in Chicago now hopefully he'll be able to put that together in Denver and they get a new offensive coordinator a really brilliant offensive mind in Pat Shermer so the Denver Broncos are a team that's looking up and then the last one that I wanted to talk about too was the Arizona Cardinals as I have them at eight and eight this year I mentioned this with the Rams. The Rams, of course, are in the same division as the Cardinals. That's a really tough NFC West division when you've got the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks, two teams that everybody likes to pick near the top or at the top of their Super Bowl favorites. Arizona is on the uptrend as well. We saw what Kyler Murray was able to do in his rookie season. Now this year, he's going to get DeAndre Hopkins to help grow with Kyler Murray, to help the growth of Kyler Murray. DeAndre Hopkins, a top five, probably a top three wide receiver in this league, possibly with Julio Jones and Michael Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins. Those are All those guys are in the same conversation, Devontae Adams, and, and of course other guys as well if you want to put them in there. But now you give Kyler Murray that absolute number one weapon. I think the Cardinals are one year away from being a playoff team. I think Kyler Murray is going to grow this year a lot going to get continuity continuity with DeAndre Hopkins. And then once they have a regular off season next year, hopefully, I think there'll be a team that'll be vying for one of those seven playoff spots. I think they're one year away though. And they made a couple of small upgrades on the defense as well. They got that Swiss army knife, Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker out of Clemson who can play all those different positions. So I think Arizona is one year away with the division that they're in. We'll have to see how Next year goes as well, but I think eight and eight is a good spot for them, and, and will be really exciting for the Arizona Cardinals. And you'll see that Kyler Murray will keep ascending to eventually get to a franchise quarterback superstar level with with the Arizona Cardinals. So, first round of this: Kansas City fourteen and two, Denver nine and seven, the Chargers seven and nine, the Raiders four and twelve. I think after their season this year, John Gruden on that ten year contract. He's going to be looking for a new quarterback other than Derek Carr. There was rumors of that this past season, and now if they go, if they have a division or if they have a year at four and twelve, they'll be looking in the range of the the Trevor Lawrence's, the Justin Fields, the Trey Lances. So we'll see. I think that's what they'll be looking with the with the Raiders coming next season if they was able to have a bunch of fans in their stadium this year in Las Vegas with that brand new, nice, shiny stadium. I think maybe then they'd get an extra couple of home wins because of the energy that would just be there. But I don't know if they're going to have that advantage this year. So next year they'll have a, most likely a new quarterback, I'm thinking, new team, and then hopefully all the fans will be able to pack in. That's when we'll see the Raiders maybe take a step forward with John Gruden. So then the NFC West, the 49ers at 12-4, the Seahawks at 11-5, and 5, the Cardinals at 8-8. and 8, and the Los Angeles Rams at 6-10. and 10. So that is the AFC and NFC West records predictions for myself for the 2020 season. Next episode, I think I'll go with the NFC and the AFC North, so we'll see how we get there. All right, so final thought then today on the final, final podcast. The Washington Redskins have changed their name or have announced that they'll be changing their name and changing their logo from the offensive slur of the Redskins so we've seen now that we don't we saw how it came about a lot of their big sponsors saying hey you have to change your name or we're going to be pulling funding from this team Dan Snyder then majority owner of the Washington football team as we are all calling them now announced that they will be changing their name and changing their logo so that's great to see a question then will this bring up the discussion for other sports franchises to change their name as well the Kansas City Chiefs the Cleveland Indians, the baseball team, the Atlanta Braves, Florida State Seminoles. I don't know if this one will necessarily be the ignition to changing these other ones, and I don't know if it needs to be either. This one is an obvious slur. I believe it's actually a slur in the dictionary as, as well, the Washington, their former name. These other ones aren't that, but we'll see if if, if how it comes about with them. But here are some of my best suggestions for the Washington football's new name and their new name change. Obvious one right off the bat, the Sentinels. Comes from the great movie with Keanu Reeves, The Replacements. Obvious and clear fit there. I think that would be a really good one. The Washington Generals or the Senators. I mean, makes sense. You're in Washington, D.C., Generals and Senators all around. And then the Washington Warriors was one I read about as well. I mean, that one just kind of goes with the, the two W's right there. I don't know, those were my four best suggestions that I had for a name change, but I would love to see the Washington Senators just because of the, the movie with Keanu Reeves and, and the replacements. I like that movie a lot, so that one made a lot of sense to me. But it's great to see that Washington has taken the step and is going to be changing their name, so that that's good to see, and, and hopefully we'll get a new name and, and we'll be able to talk about that as well for the 2020 NFL season, so that's good to see. All right, and then my final, final thought today on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Patrick Mahomes, the half-billion-dollar man. So I mentioned earlier about the Kansas City Chiefs going 14-2, and and one of the major reasons is they return 20 of 22 starters, and they get long-term extensions for some key pieces. And obviously, I was talking about Patrick Mahomes here. He gets a 12-year, $503 million extension with the Kansas City Chiefs. That's going to average out to 45 million per year. He gets 140 million dollar injury insurance. So if he gets maybe a career-ending injury or something like that, 140 million of that 530 million 503 million still goes to Patrick Mahomes. Over 450 million of that money is guaranteed in this deal and he gets a 63 million dollar signing bonus. Just incredible. So I've brought up long-term deals like this before when we talk about baseball with Bryce Harper. We've done it with Mike Trout and guys like that. Thoughts on this Patrick Mahomes one? Is it too long for me? So I, I believe the, the reason it's 12 years, it's actually 10 years, but he still had two years on his contract. But they they add that on to this in the sense so he'll be 36 or 37 by the end of this deal. I've mentioned before that I've had problems with the long term Baseball contracts—the Albert Pujolses, the Alex Rodriguezes—they these guys get these ten-year, twelve-year, thirteen-year deals like Bryce Harper and and Mike Trout. They get these when they're at the age of like twenty-nine, when they're in their prime. And then by the time you're still paying this guy thirty million, he's going to be thirty-nine, forty, and he's already declining. We saw it with Alex Rodriguez. We're seeing it right now with Albert Pujols. I mean, I think Alex Rodriguez got paid twenty-seven and a half million for two years, and he wasn't even on the Yankees roster anymore. But Patrick Mahomes is, I believe, 25 or 26 right now. So he'll be 36 or 37 by the end of this 12-year contract that he's on or 10-year contract extension that he's on. And I have no problem with a quarterback at 36 or 37. I mean, we see Aaron Rodgers right now. I believe he is 36, 37, and he got an extension, a four-year Max extension when he was 33 or 34. You see Tom Brady still winning Super Bowls in his 40s, Drew Brees leading the league in completion percentage in his late 30s, close to 40s. So I don't think, I think there's a big difference between these football contracts and the baseball ones where we see players degenerate at the ages of 37, 38, 39. They're no longer, of course, the guy that they were at the 27s and the 26s, where Patrick Mahomes, of course, won't be the same player, but he can still be a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, no question about it, by the ages of 36 and 37. And I think this is, this is one, a win-win for both teams because the Chiefs and and Patrick Mahomes put flexibility in this deal that they can still sign a lot of their major key players to long-term deals. And there's a clear example of that in the Chiefs, yesterday, signed their star defensive tackle Chris Jones to a four-year extension I believe close to 25 million per year I believe so he's going to be one of the highest paid non-quarterbacks in this league and so that shows that even with the Patrick Mahomes half a billion dollar contract which was mind-blowing it's the biggest contract in all of major sports I think what was it Mike Trout had a 13-year deal for 425 million now Patrick Mahomes goes 12 years 503 million which is Crazy to see in the NFL. I mean, his 45 million year per average, I believe the second closest to that is 35 with, is it Jared Goff possibly? But either way, the just jump between Patrick Mahomes and the second is, or the second closest guy is incredible with 45 million per year average. But I don't hate the 10 year deal for Patrick Mahomes. There's, of course, Language put in there for if he gets injured and stuff like that. He's got the $140 million injury insurance. But they worked this deal well enough that they're still able to sign key players like Chris Jones, who's one of the top three defensive tackles, one of the top five at least, defensive tackles in this game at rushing the passer, getting pressure up the middle, stopping the run up there. He's right up there with—so Aaron Donald is in a league of his own, but he's right up there with the Fletcher Cox of the Philadelphia Eagles— then it's probably Chris Jones. You've got Kenny Clark on the Packers. Those guys are all in the same category. And Chris Jones is a guy that this, te- this defense really still needs because obviously Patrick Mahomes in this offense is going to do what they're going to do. But they need the defense to come along if they want to continue to win Super Bowls. So I believe now the over-under on Super Bowls for the Chiefs after this uh, Patrick Mahomes 10-year contract is set at 2.5 Super Bowls. So can they win three Super Bowls, or is it going to be less than three Super Bowls during this 12-year contract? And the, I wouldn't get ahead of myself if I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. I mean, back in 2010, the Packers have saw this exact thing when Aaron Rodgers, I believe it was his third year starting, they win the Super Bowl against the Steelers. The next year, the very next year, they go 15 and one. Aaron Rodgers and that offense look unstoppable. They look like they're scoring 35 points a game. 15-1, going to cruise to their second straight Super Bowl, and of course they don't, and they haven't won a Super Bowl since with Aaron Rodgers in his prime, that offense when you thought the Packers were going to win at least three Super Bowls with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they talked about Aaron Rodgers at a, as a generational talent. Patrick Mahomes is definitely a generational talent at the same caliber, possibly higher as well. We'll we'll see at the end of his career, but man, just to predict three Super Bowls like that, it's not easy winning a Super Bowl. we We know how hard it is and but people think it as easier it's easier to do because of we've seen the New England Patriots win 6 Super Bowls with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick both when he was young and now when he was older as well in his late 30s it's not that easy to win a Super Bowl so i don't know if the over under on on 3 Super Bowls i'd say conservatively i think Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs can win 2 Super Bowls I would think, would be conservative number for them. I mean, this year they, are the, they should be the clear favorite. Not the clear favorite, but they should be at the top of the favorites list to win the Super Bowl, like I mentioned. Returning almost everybody on that team. Head coach Andy Reid still working with his offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. He still has him for one more year until he gets hired as a head coach. So two is what I, I would conservatively say, but I don't want to get ahead of myself, especially if I were a Chiefs fan and just be like, oh, we could win five Super Bowls in this 10-year period, no problem. Patrick Mahomes is, is going to be chasing Tom Brady for people are already talking about him as considered the greatest quarterback of all time or chasing Tom Brady for that that crown. Don't get ahead of yourselves. It it can go by quick. We, we know that for sure as Green Bay Packers fans with Aaron Rodgers and And after the 2010 season, and then they go 15 and one, we thought it was easy to win Super Bowls, but it's clearly not, especially when it comes to the postseason, anything can happen. So, but great for Patrick Mahomes in that $500 million extension. That's really exciting to see and and really cool to see as well. Half first half a billion dollar major pro athlete as well. So that's fun to see. All right. That is all I have for you on this episode of the final, final podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Next podcast episode, hopefully, will be closer or have the MLB season started at that point. We'll also get to, we'll continue with my NFL All-Time 100 team. We'll get to the wide receivers list. We'll continue with my 2020 NFL records predictions as well with the NFC and AFC North. So make sure you tune in to that episode as well. And we'll be inching even closer to the NBA bubble restart. So you're not going to want to miss that episode next time as well. Thanks for tuning in this week. Everybody stay safe, stay sane out there as well as coronavirus continues to spike. Make sure you take the precautions necessary and keep yourself safe. All right, thanks for tuning in, and that is the final final.